1: the show today we have sam dunn he's the ceo at robin sam welcome to the show hey man glad to be here yeah i'm excited to have you on the show i I think what you guys are doing at robin is very innovative and cool and especially with what's going on right now in in the world um but maybe before we get into all that let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up
0: I am from the western side of Massachusetts in the U.S. So I grew up in a suburb, and I am currently in Boston, which is the other side of the state that I grew up in.
1: Got you. Boston's such a beautiful city. Not that I didn't think it wouldn't be, but like parts of it, I was just like, "Wow, this is like out of a movie type kind of stuff." Like, I I, if people haven't been, I highly recommend going. It's like, in my opinion, it's a beautiful city.
0: I heavily debated whether or not I was going to end up in New York because at okay. the time it, we were doing an agency
1: and okay. that's kind of
0: where the agency, digital agency center of gravity was, but I liked living in Boston more. I appreciated doing business in New York. But my favorite part was always leaving, so I ended up here and it's been a blessing because to your point i think it's beautiful it's a medium-sized pond so it's easier to be a medium-sized fish
1: right
0: um and i felt like that combined with a lot of like look at the time i didn't i wasn't the strategic candidly but it's like a lot of engineers come from schools locally so like you sure. have a probably a little more a little easier time getting the developer side. Sure. A less easy time for some things that might be read, more readily available in other areas. Like, I think designers are a scarcer resource in Boston.
1: Got you. Okay, interesting. So, you went to university. What did you take and why?
0: I didn't deeply contemplate this, but where I landed, actually, actually, I had really one mindset, which was I, did, I went to University of Hartford. Okay. And I have to enunciate because I didn't go to the Ivy League. Hartford, <laughs> Connecticut, the bustling metropolis. And uh, I went for marketing. Okay. What made you
1: take marketing?
0: I, it felt like the most creative while still being anchored in business. And I really kind of liked the idea of one day being able to do something that was like a Super Bowl commercial. That matters less to not at all to me now. Uh, particularly, like, man, the Super Bowl commercials are crazy spend. But I love the idea that, like, someone had to come up with that. Uh, And that's what got me going there.
1: Interesting. Okay. So was there, like, a defining moment or, or, like, what got you passionate about marketing?
0: It was telling the story in an interesting way. And, like, that involved, like, simplifying down the elements, understanding what the story needed to include, And then, like, building it back up and retelling it um, in ways that different people would hear. Um, So it wasn't ever, like, to me, when I hear marketing, I don't immediately think advertising. I think marketing is, like, the story and the messaging to me. And that's kind of where I've spent my time.
1: Okay, interesting. So you get out of school, walk us through your journey up until Robin.
0: Okay, so important but relevant backstory, a sure. couple factoids. I have a twin brother. My twin brother is one minute older than me, and he's one of my co-founders. Very cool. My other co-founder is uh our CTO and his mother taught uh trigonometry in high school, which was one of the lowest grades uh that I got. Uh she was my trigonometry teacher. Gotcha. And uh so collectively we took you know all of the comp sci classes together that you could in high school okay. and then throughout college um my brother ended up going to university of hartford with me uh for a different thing he went for web design and multimedia gotcha. we didn't do it on purpose but we all my mom made us tour all the same schools, so we just kind of like landed together that's funny and, that's awesome, though <laughs> yeah, yeah it was uh yeah she thought it was cute <laughs> uh we did and and what ended up happening was we figured out in a hurry that, like, we could take some of our interest with that we had had in, like, the comp sci world. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't really good at math, as evidenced by my terrible <laughs> – well, trigonometry is some, one flavor of math. Sure. I'm okay at some of it. But uh, the big one that my brother and I started while in college was a blog. Was called Build Internet. It got pretty popular. It was a web design and uh, development tutorial blog. So every day we post a thing. And then after a certain amount of time, people started reaching out to us a lot to like customize the tutorials we were releasing. And like from 2008 to like 2000, uh, like, yeah, probably 2008 to 2011. Like that was pretty, that was that plus an agency. And then, um, later, we kind of created an agency around um, all of the work that we were being asked to do. It's called One Mighty Roar. And essentially we started with just websites and development and we kind of moved into this space where it was like digital events. So like the Budweiser's of the world for their made in America tour or the, you know, when Facebook was doing like a global marketing summit, we would, we would go to those events and like, help put the tweets on the wall as well as like integrated with the access card that got you through the front gate, uh, the RFID tag, sure. and then we made it do stuff once you were inside the space. So That's you can cool. see how that would apply to like photo booths
1: totally.
0: or we did essence music festival in new Orleans, which is the largest African-American music and jazz music jazz festival in the country related to the magazine. So, that we got to see a lot of like the ad world, the events, everything else. But what we like didn't love about that was everything we worked on, like evaporated. It Uh just went away. So we'd worked for two months on something that would exist for a long weekend. And then it was on the next one. A lot of good brands, a lot of fun things, but like nothing felt like it stuck. Uh, So we started looking at opportunities to do our own stuff and in 2014, we took basically everything we had left in the war chest for One Mighty Roar and we moved our 20 employees over to start something called Robin, which is basically bringing what we had learned about like rooms and spaces that could react to you uh, from the event world into the office because we knew that wouldn't evaporate. And um, that's how we got going.
1: Interesting. So what made you guys actually come up with the idea though for Robin?
0: So at the time we were we knew that we didn't love hardware. It was expensive, it was hard to ship, it was hard to reliably get on time. At all these events that we were going to, we'd oftentimes have to like be responsible for delivering the RFID bracelet or lanyard ticket. So, you know, those are like trash bags full of RFID tags, which is how they ship. And that's why custom stops them so readily every time. So they look suspicious. So we really wanted to do a software play. Okay. Um, And we liked the idea of what we were seeing with uh, this new technology called beacons at the time, Bluetooth beacons. So (laughs) for the uninitiated, it is basically a small battery-operated device. It's a one-way signal like a sonar and nearby devices that are tuned to pick up that single, that signal, that frequency. Uh, Notice it's nearby and how strong that signal is. So you can essentially do indoor location. You saw this a lot with um, retail stores in particular, like you walk up, you have your Macy's app open and the jeans are on sale. The trick is um, the the We spent a lot of time playing around with that tech and, you know, we thought indoor location, in the office, rooms that responded to when you walked through the door, like that to us had the inklings of like, we're going to build this for the office. But as soon as we got there, we realized in a hurry, two things, beacons weren't great technology reliably. They weren't instantly responsive. It was like a slow pinging, sometimes sonar. So it would take anywhere from zero minutes to 20 minutes. To get picked up uh by the nearest beacon wow. second was that like half the meetings we were trying to automate when you walk through the door weren't happening you know so, so it's like on uh-huh. the maslow's hierarchy of office needs we realized like automation is about as self-actualized as you can get and, and we needed to start by just having an awareness of what was supposed to happen what did happen and um what had happened and I think that that's why we started looking at it like we need to get an inventory of the office, and we need to figure out uh, what's going on by being really good at scheduling. So we started being meeting room scheduling for for the office, and that's when we, that that decision was the one that stopped us from wobbling on kind of like figuring out a prototype and moved us into what was later become you know more of a full workplace story. And, you know, that's, it wasn't until we made that decision that we were able to have the business cross its first million in in revenue and, 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 yeah.
1: Wow. That's, that's really great. So walk us through Robin's journey from what you just talked about up into what it is today.
0: Perfect. So it's 2014 and we spent that year, um, Really deeply exploring kind of the all of the devices, the sensors, the things that were making their way into the office. Um, and th- around that time period, like Internet of Things is a big, a big component of right. um, a lot of people's minds. As that got more defined, we were able to, you know, obviously like pay attention to which ones were already baked into the building, typically like environmental and building sensors, uh, as, al- as well as like focusing on occupancy based sensors the ones that are you know, not trying to save you time uh, or they're not trying to save you on your energy bill. They're trying to like let you know whether or not a room's in use so it can be made available or not. So what we ended up doing was we made an iPad app for outside your conference room and it showed basically red light, green light and it was the room booked, Synced with all your calendars and you could like book a meeting impromptu and then the big one was we had something called ghost meetings which was like uh basically when a meeting didn't take place we would detect that if no one checked in and automatically remove it from the calendar so with that we had the makings of a value proposition because man like now people could like have a meeting room made available and like they wouldn't have to have get more inventory than they needed because they would know exactly which rooms were booked but never used, so people were able to start figuring out their space. Our buyer tended to be like the person who had just got done rolling out Slack or Zoom, so like think the IT side of the house, right? And less so the folks that had planned the workplace. But like the thing that started changing around 2015, 2016 was we started getting a lot more involved with um, the facilities and the real estate side because. There was this thing happening, which was uh, the folks responsible for the technology were people uh, inside the company. So the places where people worked digitally. um, Now we're sitting at the table with the folks who are responsible for the physical place where they worked, the real estate and facilities teams, because they were starting to realize like those are two parts of one whole and that whole is your workplace, Right. So you needed to have an understanding of who's where and what's available to people. And previously, I think the way people viewed it was video conferencing is IT and workplace is facilities. And it wasn't until ITs uh, until they had to start really being thoughtful about how they were planning um, technology in this initial space not just as an afterthought, which is how you end up with oversized conference room tables and walls covered in screens that are outside the room. It's because those two people didn't plan the office together. So people realized that like newer offices needed to have IT and facilities planned together. So it wasn't just like a hand over the keys and fill it with technology. And um, that kind of introduced a, a few really major problems, which was all of the facilities tools, you know, if you want to think about kind of slower to move into the cloud spaces, a lot of these tools, like, they're built for, for offices that are on multiple year, sometimes multiple decade long leases. So, like, they don't, they're not used to having to respond to, quote, real-time things. Right. So, like, real-time feedback for them is, like, within a day. So at the time I was looking at this and being like, wait a second. So we know what's going on in the office because of the schedule. So if we can help do that, plus be a little bit of a a home for both where facilities and IT can uh, collaborate together on this workplace, then what you'd start to want is a lot of something that sounds uh, very similar to what we have today. and we have close to 2,000 customers. For reference, here, so we have like close to 2,000 customers. Wow. Uh, those include folks like Twitter. It includes wineries. It includes, um, you know, the mattress company Casper. Like it's a wide variety of types of folks because they all have offices. Right. And the the today is that we look a lot like a we look a lot like Google Maps. or a workplace map. And we show you all the stuff that's in your office. We show you the schedules that are associated with it and we help you book those things as an employee and use them and find, find which ones you can. And then we report that back in a way by showing what's hard to do in your office and what's under or over supported. So the people who are in who are responsible for kind of curating what the office has in it are able to stop making as many guesses. And start looking at it a little more, uh, you know, which meetings are hard to have and be able to solve it, not with hammer and new walls, but oftentimes like realizing a video conferencing room could be repurposed to an interview room. And those are the sorts of changes that are going to give us more shelf life in this current space. Um, So it was like, those are the sorts of conversations we were starting to enable between, you know, the two halves of the workplace uh, puzzle
1: interesting no you're right because it gets so tricky um especially like i think everybody's worked at a a place where they're like i you know they book a meeting whether it's virtually or in person well it's not probably in person at this point but um but it's coming back but um and two people need the same room at the same time, and it, it just it kind of looks bad, right? Like especially if you have somebody coming in person, and you're like, ah, uh, we got to meet in this like weird corner in the office because all the meeting space is booked.
0: I loved doing on-site like sales visits because that's would always be the opening convo from when they greeted me. It's like, oh, let's go find a meeting room, and then they'd be like, I know, I know. <laughs> but I think that like to your point, like the problem really becomes the frustrate. there's a lot people are paid to be there yeah um so they are paid to tolerate a lot too so it's like you know there are so sometimes it's like the worst thing you saw was apathy people who just kind of assumed that the reason meeting rooms are never available is because their company didn't care or their company is just trying to save money and then when they rotated away from the meeting room and looked at the rest of the office if it looked, if it was the classic open office that looks a lot like a cafeteria, it just looked like you were just trying to cram as many people in your office as possible to take attendance. So it started to get into this whole, well, why do we really even have offices if they're not like a better place to work than a Starbucks? And like that really rattled around in my head because, man, like we don't have to take, like there's much less expensive ways to take attendance. And, and I think that like, if this giant work from home experiment happening right now has shown anything, it's that there are things that you definitely miss about the office and there's things that you can definitely do from home or remote. And I think a lot of businesses have had to come to terms with that in a hurry and figure out what their scheme plan was for you know the genie's out of the bottle now. You know, like everyone knows that it's at least possible to do their job in some capacity from home. Um, or these companies are who are continuing to do business. They aren't all just sh- like stopping operations until everyone's back in. Their offices enable a lot, but they're not required uh, for every single thing that you do. And those offices that frustrated people and never had enough meetings available, it's because people thought there were only two ingredients to in them, meeting rooms and desks. And you do your work in one of those two places, but like when you work from home, what do you do? You move around throughout the day. You might bang out some emails from a kitchen counter. You might sit on the couch for a little bit. because That's where you focus on one particular type of activity. So the idea, you might go to a Starbucks because you like the creative atmosphere and just hearing the buzz while you're, while you're working on some, some project outlines. Those are the sorts of things where it's like you move throughout your space, depending on the work you need to do. Different. Some of those happen to be closed door things like meetings. And some of those are individual work, but you're being asked to do all of your. But you're being asked to do all of your work from only one place, your desk. So these newer offices we are starting to look at something called activity-based work. And activity-based work is something that the furniture world, um, who we've gotten to spend a lot of really good time with, one of our investors is Herman Miller, the um, the furniture company who is responsible for man, if you Google Aeron, you've definitely seen it before in the Aeron chair. Totally. It's like one of those quintessential startup offices. Yes, our yes, we uh we are we are proud Herman Miller chair people here as well. <laughs> in our current office in Boston. They they are really uh, our great. Our postures are immaculate, um, <laughs> really upright. Yeah. But uh, you know, like for us, like we were hearing how they were looking at the world, and it was, you know, the most the best example I would give you is that the guy, you know, the guy who invented the cubicle, Robert Brooks, didn't oh. actually mean to. It was they were never supposed to be next to each other.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: It, they were supposed to be like for middle managers, and then the area around them was supposed to be, you know, all these different touchdown points where you could do, you know, your drafting work for the day. Because keep in mind, didn't have right. computers, if they existed, were big and clunky. This right. Right? So it's like this idea of, like, having, like, purpose-built spaces. But what ended up happening, and I promise this is not a born, I will not go down this rabbit hole, but tax code changed. So oh. it became really advantageous to make furniture your walls rather than actual walls. Ah. And so, and then couple of that with this idea that like you didn't necessarily have all of the design support in all of the outposts uh, that might be your furniture dealers. So if someone got 200, uh, needed 200 um, workstations, that would just be applied back to be 200 cubicles because you don't want to have to sort out like the pecking order and there's a number of right. other things. So it stopped being just for middle managers and it kind of replaced rooms in many ways. So, it, and then, and then you can kind of see how movies like office space ended up happening.
1: Sure.
0: Um, <laughs> and then if you kind of evolve that one turn quicker, like it's in the, like the early 2000s, you've got folks like Google and Facebook really showing like what an open office, like these creative, like tech forward thinking companies that everyone wanted to be. And all, in many cases, people's implementation of that was equally one-size-fits-all uh, as, as cubicles were. So they just removed the one positive quality of cubicles, which is the privacy and acoustics. So now you've basically built a cafeteria surrounded by meeting rooms. Right. And I think that, like, that's where we've been hanging out for a while. And that's where <laughs> I laugh every time. I see, like, you know, the open office is terrible. The open office... No one's defending the open office. The open office is, is is basically copy-pasting the same thing times the number of employees that you've got. Right. And that's like eating the same meal three times a day. Like no one's advocating for that. So I think this whole wave of like activity-based work in and out of office time and kind of that more flexible style um, environment lets people kind of be available in the places they need to be Move and then um, really kind of figure out where they can do their best work and just do that. And I think that that's really what this whole work from home thing has really jump started for us, too.
1: Interesting. No, I, I 100% agree with you. I, like, as somebody that's basically worked on a laptop for, I don't know, the last couple decades, I've clearly had the luxury to be able to kind of move around the office and work from home, and it's always kind of mind-boggled me as a creative person especially, but I, I would say for anybody, it's like, like, why do you care where I'm located? And if I have to go into an office, it's a whole other debate, and I don't want to go down that road, but why do you care where I'm in the office? Like, If I want to work in the lunchroom or I want to work at in a meeting room or at a desk, as long as I'm doing my work, who cares? Right. And if I want to be in more of a quiet space to do certain types of work, or I want to be in a louder space to do other types of work, as long as I get my stuff done, like, why do you care? And I think most computer jobs, at least at this day or office jobs, sure. You could argue, you could screw around for uh, at home or, or, but you could screw around at the office, right? Like most people have some sort of deliverables and you could maybe kind of screw around for a few days, maybe a few weeks or or maybe a bit longer, depending on who you are and and what kind of work you do. But eventually you're going to get caught, right? Like it's, it's not really that difficult anymore.
0: Yeah. And it's, and what it creates is like accountability on both sides, right? You're, if your manager is asleep at the wheel, that's one thing. Sure. And if they're not motivating you to, to pour your energy in the right direction, that's another thing. And then like, it's really like you you have to basically be a little bit more in command of your own thing. And I think that the one of the things that's really kind of shown through here is is the folks that um, also are starting to they expect you to be able to reply because you have a phone on you at all times after hours and, and they do – you know, 24-7 access via your email and phone, like, when you, the moment you have that, um, you can't all, then say, hey, this is a nine-to-five job plus that expectation. If yeah. someone, if your expectation is someone occasionally might need to reply after after, quote, hours, then, like, you should also be able to say you don't have to take a vacation day to go to the dentist. Like, your life happens, blocks that aren't just nine to five and five to nine it is a continuous thing i think we've all learned that in a hurry yeah and like it's less exhausting when you don't have to hurl yourself between work state home state work state home state um and i think that like realizing that like you can be um you can balance the two um and I'm not saying work-life balance. I think there's work-life choices in many ways. Like you can, you can be selfish on different halves of that at any point. Selfish in the most positive the sense. It's where, it's where you're selfish with your own time, right? Yep. This is where I'm choosing to invest right now. Totally. Uh, I, I think that um, a lot of the nine-to-five framework for the workday like really looks back to kind of like, you know, not necessarily anchored in like the knowledge worker, um, world. Like one of my favorite examples of kind of some legacy follow through um, from like the earliest forms of work um, in offices was like type jobs. So you've probably seen like black and white photos where everyone has like a marvelous mahogany desk. We assume it's black and white photos. They're all facing forward, they're all typewriting, and they're all spaced out, probably wonderfully socially distanced too. Like well, clean six feet between all of them, but they're all facing their boss, who's yeah. facing them at the top, and it looks like a classroom. And if you looked at that from the top down, that's an org chart. So like the things that we've been translating digitally for some time now are really anchored in just some of these layouts that no one's ever paused and like you know reflected on. Like that was how you understood the packing order in a hurry. You know, the people who sat in the front of the class, people who sat in the back. Um, and top down, that's your classic orchestra.
1: yeah, it, it that's, it's, it's interesting. So how are you guys working with companies that are actually bringing their people back into the office? Um, well, I, I obviously right, like say today with COVID still happening and how are you helping them with physical distancing and, and the safety of their
0: employees? So the important part right now is pretty much like for the first um, two months of quarantine, it was all about planning, right? The we, people wanted to figure out the logistics. They wanted to figure out uh, all of the distance that needed to be between people, which barriers you may or may not need in between desks. They wanted to make sure that logistically they had um, the game plan together. Now, as we go into the 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 end of the summer and the fall what you're starting to see is moving more into the 20 to 50% capacity is allowed at some more of these white collar offices. Right. Um, and it's for essential workers and now expanding the, the lens a little bit. So realistically, like right now, we're on like a slow return phase to the end of the year. Sure. And when I say that no one can make it mandatory right now. Um, there are certain areas where you need access to a lab right. or, you know, specialty tools in your office. And those are, those are the definition of essential workers. But I think like the in-between folks where the manager would really prefer if they were in the office, like you can really wring someone's arm on that a little bit, but like fundamentally, like you're not solving the core problem, which is you need to build employee enthusiasm for getting back to the office because it does something for them. Yeah. And I think that like, that's something that means that, that requires you to be able to articulate what your office has and you knowing what it has. So now we're in this place of like, if I want to just like meet and a couple people on my team, come into the office for the day yeah. to just one day a week to like really just hammer out those meetings that probably would be better in person, you know, I can just consolidate them all in one day. Great. I'm not going into my entire department. I'm going in with the people that I work with every day, my small circle, going into the office, spaced out, and booking a desk for the day, knowing that the meeting rooms are, have uh, cleaning cycles, or you can at least see when it was last cleaned up so you know which ones are on and offline. That's a very important part for managing uh, meeting room inventory right now. It's uh, it swapped the majority of our business used to be uh, new business conversations used to be uh, meeting room first. How do we conserve meeting room time? How do we, you know, best manage this? And we were just starting to roll out all of the stuff for the rest of the four plans. So we rolled out maps, we rolled out desk booking, suit assignments, you know, hot desking, all of that. And what happened now, all the conversations are around desks because people need to basically plan out. Yes, for who's coming into the office, right. uh, what time, which desks need to be cleaned because they were used. And it's just now that they're starting to kind of rotate back out to the meeting rooms and say, Okay, how do we how do we actually use our meeting rooms? Because it's like a lot of these rooms are so crowded. They break the social distance right off the gate. So the idea is that like we we help flag when those rooms should be cleaned.
1: Right. Yeah. All stuff that would be a nightmare to manage manually.
0: Yeah. And I think that like, this is all, but like they're used to doing this manually in many other cases. One of my, er, the earliest examples I had uh, as we were starting Robin was, there was a very large software company in Boston here that every Thursday at 3 PM, they sent an intern with a clipboard to count how many desks were being used and how many meeting rooms and how many people are in each one. And then that person's internship plus a company-wide survey were like two of three meaningful pieces of data for them planning a hundred, multiple 100,000 square foot facility in downtown. Wow. So a lot of these are anecdotal and um, kind of very small slivers of time which would be insane to think about if you flipped it the other way. Like if I made decisions about my website based on how traffic behaved at 3 p.m. on Thursdays just for a summer, like, does any of that make sense? No, but like we're making way more expensive decisions with way less data. Um, And that was back in 2014, 2015. So, you know, we wanted to kill the clipboard we also noticed that there were post-it notes that represented meetings on doors. We wanted to kill that with the digital signage part in the iPad. And we noticed that like spreadsheets were basically how a lot of people were managing C assignments. So we figured a map is a much nicer way to do all three of them. Sure. Um, so that's where we've been trying to like stitch it all together.
1: Interesting. No, I, I think, I think it's great. And the funny thing about it is like if your office doesn't have this technology and you go to an office that does it's astronomical the differences right and just being able to go up to a touch screen see what's happening in this room today you'd be like yeah we can meet here right now because like somebody just came in you know or we got like an hour we got 30 minutes or or the room's free all day like just knowing that even when you're physically in front of the space that you're trying to use? Because it sucks when you you get all set up in a room and then somebody comes by, it's like, I have a meeting in five minutes. You need to get out of here. You're like, I just sat down, right? Like all that like yeah. weird awkwardness is just kind of handled.
0: You don't have to, like those people would feign ignorance. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. And yeah, and that's exactly it. And all the sum total of that is that like people just lack, awareness and connection to like what was actually happening in the workplace sure. and then they kind of dismissed it
1: yeah oh there's
0: just never any meeting rooms available of course the company doesn't have money to invest in this and the thing is it's like a self-inflicted wound in many cases yeah like one of the earliest things that we noticed was over half of all meetings were recurring. and when I... you think about that like how much of your week is on autopilot just walking in the door on monday yeah like it's spoken for so it's like in the same way that you wouldn't be surprised if during rush hour, if you opened up Uber or Lyft, the prices might be higher. Like yep. you can't act surprised when you bundle when you, you you can't act surprised when you bundle together all of your recurring meetings in the same afternoon on a Tuesday, and all of a sudden that's also when other people want to book their meetings, and that's kind of and and you're not spreading anything out. So you're just basically killing off the day. Yeah. So the idea is like, there's some that are expected and there's some that are unexpected. And that's kind of what people needed to realize what their office by office cadences were. Um, And like, I very much believe that like each office, like when you think about even within your company, there's different meeting cultures, there's different uh, work from home uh, Uh cultures, um, and I think the byproduct of that is that like, it, you got to think about it, like the needs of uh, not only each role within the org, but the needs of each office, because they all have their own DNA. And I draw a lot of parallels to how like the DNA profilers, like, or 23 and me, I think that they, re- the way that they report on things that are very big picture, I think in some cases uh, I think that you will see where they've done it irresponsibly or perhaps a little bit more generously, I should say, um, than probably people, people would have liked. But I also think that, like, on the other side of it, the ability to say, like, hey, you might be more prone to sour tastes because of, you know, your 2% Neanderthal or whatever I am. Um, there are things that are going to make you more or less prone a certain thing. I am the most Irish and I have never been tan in my life. I've only been sunburned. A sales office is very prone to last minute meetings because of the nature of demos and calls and let me just step into a room and and negotiate this deal with you. A back office full of accounting and legal and uh, a lot of supporting functions tends to be much more planned ahead and thoughtful and there's less surprises. There's more recurring meetings. So just understanding that there's different profiles for each of these and like hiring an accountant has a different impact on the runway of your space than hiring an engineer.
1: Right. And
0: right now it's headcount and that's, that misses a lot and it it makes the office about attendance, which isn't the point.
1: Sure. Well, the other thing too, it's, it's also got to help on the efficiency side of things too, because I've worked at companies in the past where, you're spending, say you have like a morning meeting for, to kick off the week or, or a sprint or something. And depending how long your sprint is, you might have a wrap up meeting that Friday or the following Friday or whatever. But then you might spend most of Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday in other meetings. And then obviously you're still expected to get your work done. And it's, it, it's always kind of blown me away how it's like, well, where's my project. It's like, I've literally been in meetings with you all day. So how do, how do I have time to finish your project and be in meetings with you at the same time? Like I've, I've so like how do you guys, or do you guys solve for the efficiency that um, having too many meetings can, can kind of get rid of?
0: I think that we don't particularly look at it that way, Okay, but we do, we like, But you also might not, like, if if you know the traffic's bad, you might be less inclined to go on a road trip. So what I mean by that is in the office, like, you, a lot of times you see this thing of like, oh, it's impossible to have this sort of a meeting in this office. So they just give up. Ah. And it's because they're blocked out on everything else. Now, if those rooms were available, those meetings would absolutely happen. So really, it's like uh, lost opportunities is, is, is not only is a pretty squishy one to try to like kind of encapsulate, but I would say some total of all, this, all of what I've heard from people, it's like those are the moments where you're just like you have the energy to really tackle that idea and you get deflated because you don't have an outlet to do it. Right. And I think home situation has done as an added benefit is it's taught everyone that they can communicate asynchronously. So what has really struck me with some of the more traditional or not necessarily the first wave of cloud adopters um, is that their quick back and forth were email threads, not necessarily an instant message. Right. So what would happen is of course that when you're faced with, well, do I text, do I know this person well enough to text them? Or do I just email them or, let me just have a conversation. Let me go have a conversation by walking over to their desk, by interrupting them, by locating them—all of that loop. Right. But if you give people the tools to basically operate asynchronously with the Slacks and the Microsoft Teams of the world, we integrate with both of those. Right. But like those are the thing; those are the tools that like really help people um, now move into this whole. You don't need to be physically in front of me in order to interact with me. So when we are, it should be because it's for the sort of work that warrants it. And that's the collaboration, that's the one-on-ones, those are the relationship building ones, like all of that. You You can't remove offices from the equation, but you can be responsible with what you think is worthy of having office space dedicated to. Things like game room, very rarely, are 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 used in any level that justifies the cost other than a tour stop on your on your sure. recruiters' uh, walk through of the office right and the places that people really want to interact with each other on it's these 3 to 4 person meetings it's that small circle of people that you rely on every day to work with and like you got to enable those people um, and that's a bite sized thing that i think people are realizing now
1: Yeah, I guess you're solving a bigger problem than what I outlined before, right? Is you're just optimizing kind of everything. So in theory, then everything like my comment doesn't really exist because like if you you really figure out what you need to actually book a meeting about and and, or what you could just instant message me on Slack or Teams or whatever instead of. And I think to your point, um, working from home, it's like, well, it forced people to instant message instead of creating a meeting. You're like, well, this is going to be five minutes. I don't need to go book a meeting for this. I'll just message them quick. They'll get back to me because I don't need an answer this second. You can't physically, well, you could, but like you wouldn't, you're, you're not going to like physically get in your car and drive to somebody's house to like talk to them for five minutes. Right. So I think it's kind of reengaged and, and really made people think about, what needs to be a meeting and what needs to be just like a quick message that that can be instantly solved or you can wait a little bit and you don't need an instant answer.
0: And I think that to that end too, being in person is just a way of knowing that you have their attention and their focus. So I think that if you really do want to move towards this whole, um, you know, nine to five can have parts of five to nine and vice versa in it. Right. That true work-life blend. Um, Then you're going to have to also acknowledge that like a results only environment means that I don't care. It's not like when I'm negotiating a contract, I text our lawyers and say, Hey, get to the office. We're going to need to work on this. I'll say (laughs) I just send them the contract. They send it back. Yeah. And like, I think people, I don't care where they do it, how they do it, or anything else. It's just like, it's annoying when the tools or the don't exist for me to get the, it done. So the office is a tool and it's an amenity for many folks and it should be part of companies brands. I think that really they've got to brag about it. It's got to be worth the square footage and it's got our own enthusiasm of the people who, who want to come in every day. Like if it's not inspirational or adding some equation, it's like, It's annoying. There's like, we all went, we went, we went to school already. We're in, we're in the job market now. So we don't need that level of oversight and micromanaging. We just need tools that are going to inspire good things to to be done and, you know, not block us in those moments of inspiration with the people that we showed up to work, to work with, you know? So like, that's what the office needs to come in in a big way. Um, So it can't just be deaths and meeting them it has to and that's the cafeteria so you know these i think the offices will go back to in 2021 um in fuller force are based on a lot of my conversations going to be a lot smaller bits and pieces uh they're starting to be looked at a lot more like you would a a a city map you know series of neighborhoods not just four one four two four three got zones within the office with specific purposes, like library or social areas, you've got purpose built space for the purposes that people show up to your office. And that's that's really kind of the kumbaya summary of a lot of
1: No, I I think that's, that's actually really insightful. And it makes makes total sense. But we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about you guys and any other links you want to mention?
0: Oh, um, I would say, so robinpower.com is our website. And with from there, you can, you can look at all of our workplace maps, our desk scheduling, as well as meeting room scheduling products and like all the analytics that come with that. Um, and basically, whoever your workplace team is, IT facilities, and in many cases, office managers, too. Like They're going to care about that. Um, if you care about uh, some of the other, want to geek out on some of the other stuff, um, activity-based work uh, is a great rabbit hole to go down. Um, it helps take the something that might just look like a really sophisticated floor plan and break it into smaller bits and pieces um, that you might be able to, to find a puzzle piece or two um, that inspires you I think that that's that makes that to me uh the ability to like look at room layouts and and desk pod next to room layouts like smaller bits and pieces of the office has has been hugely instrumental in, in how I've learned about this too
1: no that that's really great man well I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day man
0: perfect thanks man
1: thank you okay bye